So my greatest fear would be coming home after a long day and finding my cat dead. Like if I came home, found Skitty unconscious, not moving, I have no idea what I would do. In New York, I think you're supposed to put like dead animals in a bag and put it outside and write dead animal on it or a box. How could people do that? That's so cruel. Welcome to Your Weirdest Fears. I'm your host, Larry Mullins. Can you imagine how horrible it would be to walk in and find your sweet little pet dead? This fear is pretty common. In fact, two producers on this team say that's what they worry about with their cats all the time. So how likely is it that you leave for work, your pet is fine when you leave, but you walk back into a lifeless animal? Oh, my goodness. Dr. Lauren Edelman is here to answer that question. She's a veterinarian and internal medicine specialist at Canada West Veterinary Specialist. Doc, let me first begin by asking, how likely is this to happen? I think it definitely is a valid fear. I have had owners come in and have found their pets suddenly dead at home. So it is something that happens, but it is a rarity in all the ways that pets can die. Sudden death when you're not home is probably reasonably uncommon. So how much of this involves animals that are older versus younger pets? The vast majority of pets that suddenly pass are going to be older pets. The rarity is going to be the young pet. And those are generally preventable. You know, a young puppy or a young pet that you leave at home, if you leave it with things like bones to chew on, toys that they could potentially choke on, you know, those are preventable things. Whereas your older pets, usually it's a medical condition. And most of the time, they're showing signs before they actually lead to that point of sudden death. Yeah. So if you pick up on the cues, you're more likely to be able to intervene. Doc, were you always as astute in pet care as you are now? Can you think back on some things that you did as a younger person with a pet that you did back then that you wonder, oh my gosh, how did my baby survive? Definitely. I mean, obviously now I've seen a lot in being a vet for the last 10 years and especially a specialist. We tend to see some of the weirder stuff. One of the things I would personally never do is feed my dog bones, which is really common nowadays. The number of bones that I've seen dogs choke on or get stuck in their esophagus and honestly lead to death is astounding. But you think, though, you think a dog, give a dog a bone, there are even nursery rhymes about it, that that's what you're supposed to do, no? Back then, dogs only lived like five years. <laughs> now we have dogs living 20 years. So, I mean, I think if you are going to give a dog a bone, you definitely want to make sure that these bones are an appropriate size and that your dog's not one to just like swallow this knuckle bone. I have a chihuahua mix from the streets of LA and he can eat whatever the heck he wants. But my other dog, who's this little purebred Brussels griffin, like he's the most sensitive little guy in the world. All these people are running around with doodles. They can't eat anything. <laughs> They're oh like the God. most sensitive little things. What is this thing about chocolate? I've heard people say, oh, don't give that dog that chocolate. That'll kill him. Is there anything to that? Chocolate is toxic to dogs. So chocolate has lots of different components that are there's like three different components in chocolate that are toxic to dogs, one of which is caffeine. There's actually the chocolate itself. So in low doses, and especially chocolates that are like milk chocolate or white chocolate, those are not necessarily as toxic as a dog eating like baking cocoa powder where the concentrations are higher. But if a dog eats a ton of chocolate, that can lead to cardiac signs. So arrhythmias, abnormal heart rhythms, it can lead to neurologic signs like seizures, and even death in severe cases. 
if your dog eats chocolate and you're not really sure, most veterinary emergencies that are open 24 hours, if you call them and you have an idea of how much they ate, they're going to be able to tell you, yeah, you should come in so we can make your dog vomit or treat them with fluids or like, ah, that's probably going to be fine. You can just monitor. What about plants? Are there any plants in the house that we really, really need to get out of the house before it hurts that baby? There's a lot of plants that if they're eaten can cause like local irritation in the mouth and maybe some mild gastrointestinal upset. That's pretty common, but there are certain plants that can be deadly. So particularly for cats, the lily flowers, if a cat even ingests any of the pollen, that can cause kidney failure and it can be irreversible. So that's one of the most common toxins in cats is lily toxicity and then dogs also have some plants especially in california sago palms are really common in california they're like the little palm trees right and the little sago palm like nut are super toxic as well as there's certain mushrooms like in the pacific northwest we have amanitas they're called death caps and they can cause sudden liver failure you know what doc i don't think i'll get a dog anymore because everything you just brought <laughs> off I mean, I fed them bones. I had sago palms throughout the house. I lived in Florida. So conversely, we talked about dogs and their reaction to eating chocolate and certain plants and that sort of thing. What about a cat? Would they have the same reaction if they ate chocolate? Cats compared to dogs are much less likely to eat chocolate. You know, I think cats in general may be a bit smarter than dogs. So they're they're pickier with what they eat. So yes, same clinical signs as dogs, but less likely. We don't see it nearly as often. So what if you come home and you see your pet lying there unconscious? Does it mean that the animal is dead? Take them to the vet, have them evaluated. But we do definitely get patients that are DOA dead on arrival. But at least you've had that confirmation from a professional and know that if there's hope or not. Because there are patients that, you know, especially coma or if they've had a seizure or something that renders them more unconscious, they may look dead to you, but they may not actually be dead. How does one grieve the loss of a pet? Because you know what? Some people are insensitive and go, it's a dog. Why are you tripping? It's not like it was a human, but these were humans in the eyes of the owners. Everyone has a different way of grieving. And absolutely, like for some people, yeah, a dog's a dog. You know, I think as far as grieving goes, it's a personal thing. I know when my family dog died when I was young, I needed time. But my mom was like, nope, I need to get another dog. I need to fill this giant hole in my heart and got this new dog. And, you know, that was her way of grieving. And that's okay. And for other people, it's like, no, I I can't have a dog for a while. I need to just remember this dog. People don't have to feel like they're alone. There are pet loss support groups online, just like you would with a human loss. There are people to talk about their emotions with and pet grief counselors because it is a really big deal and it is like losing a child. I mean, I think it's reasonable to have that fear with anything you love that much in life, right? Whether it's a person or whether it's a dog, it's a valid fear. The bottom line is that Finding your pet suddenly dead at home is quite rare. Most of the time, if that's going to happen, it's going to be because they have a medical issue that there were probably signs of before. So keep an eye out for those subtle signs, decreased appetite, vomiting, diarrhea, things that you can do to prevent the more rare causes like choking, plant or chocolate ingestion would be to just not leave them home with bones or chews that you can't supervise them when they're eating. But it's unlikely to be. I think the best thing you can do as an owner is really to pay attention to the smaller signs. Dr. Lauren Edelman, thank you so, so much for joining me. You're very welcome. It was a blast. 
And thank you so much for listening to your weirdest fears. I want to know your fears now, so share them and you could be featured in the podcast. If you click on the episode description, you will see the team's email address. Use that. If you're enjoying the show, please rate us, review us, and subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast from. Your Weirdest Fears is a production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. Our very special thanks to producers Jill Webb and my man Dempsey Pilot. Andy Egan Thorpe is our audio engineer. Femi Redwood is the managing producer of podcasts. And I'm your host, Larry Mullins. Thanks for listening. Wow.